You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Abraham realized that it was God who went before him to defeat this confederation of kings. They were outnumbered, they were outmanned, they were outgunned. There was no way that you could explain his victory in this battle with the exception of placing God behind it. And so he wanted to give God all of the glory. Folks, there was this demonstration of goodness and moral excellence. That's what true faith looks like, but that's just simply one fruit of faith that validates our faith. The Bible calls Abraham the father of our faith. This means that he was the first of his kind. And while he was unique in that he was the beginning of what would become the Hebrew people, he is also used as the prototype for how to live a life of faith. And even though the Bible is honest, showing where Abraham messed up, Pastor Mike's teaching today will show that God looked at Abraham's heart to his intentions. Abraham was trying to serve God to the best of his ability, and God honored him for that. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 25 as he begins his message, A Life That Validates Faith. time. That would be in Genesis chapter 25. And this message, the title is, A Life That Validates Faith. You know, we talk a lot about in our Christianity and our Christian experience that we have faith, faith in God. But what does that mean? And what does it look like? And how is it revealed? And so we want to talk about certain fruits and characteristics that come forth from that faith that we have in God. So, Let's go ahead and read that text of scripture, Genesis chapter 25, verses 7 through 10. And actually what we have here is the record of Abraham's death. So with that said, let's go ahead and read that text. Uh, Chapter 25, beginning in verse 7. Now this is the sum of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last breath, that is, and died in a good old age. And an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, the field which Abraham purchased from the sons of Heth. And there Abraham was buried alongside of Sarah, his wife. Father, we pray now that you would bless the remainder of our time together as we study your word. And Father, we We pray, God, that 
you would minister to each one in a very relative and personal kind of a way. Lord, that as we treat this subject of faith revealed and the fruit that comes forth from a person's life that validates that faith, Lord, that we would look at this catalog and, Lord, that we might even use it as a litmus test to see where we are in our faith in you and placing our faith in you and whether it's a legitimate faith, whether or not we need to add to our faith. And so, Lord, to that end, we pray. Father, we pray now also that you would settle our hearts, Lord, that there wouldn't be anything that would stand in the way of our receiving from you. And God, I pray that your word would go forth with a powerful anointing upon it. God, that it would bear fruit in our lives to your glory. And again, we thank you. Bless now. Let my words be your words. For we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this message, a life that validates faith. Now let me begin with an observation. There are two different ways people greet the news of someone's death that is their passing. It could be a family member. It could be a business partner or associate. In fact, it could even be a member of the clergy. But in this category... All of those individuals that I just mentioned had one thing in common. They were honorary. They were difficult. They were an embarrassment to us. So in that case, the way that we respond to them in passing would be relief and thanksgiving. A sense of finally we'll be able to progress in some endeavor because we think nothing good was going to happen while they were alive. They were absolutely holding us back. So that's one way to respond to the passing of those types of individual. But how different it is for those who pass, who have walked with God, having been a blessing to others by the type of life lived, their testimony, and people are thankful for that life and sorrowful that it has ended. This was the case with Abraham. You see, Abraham lived for 175 years. And think about all of the wonderful lessons that we've been learning through this man's life. I mean, he's been the focal point of our studies here in this section of the book of Genesis in our origin series. And he served up for so many wonderful lessons for us to learn, even in his weaknesses, even in his failures. I hope and trust it's been an eye-opening experience for all of us. But anyway, Abraham lived for 175 years, and his death marked the end of a life that was greatly used and greatly blessed by God. Okay, so that raises the question, how do we do justice to a life like that? A giant in his generation. Well, simply, we hold it up as an example to learn from. And that's the way that he's recommended to us, the father of faith. In F.B. Meyer's commentary, and uh, if anything you can get your hands on that's been written by F.B. Meyer, uh, is certainly a worthwhile addition to your library. He's written many books on the different characters of the Bible, the life of David, the life of Abraham, and others. But in his book, written by F.B. Meyer, on Abraham, in that commentary, referring to Abraham's faith, he notes that in accordance with 2 Peter, in chapter 1, 
in verses 5 through 8. I'm going to ask all of you to turn there. But that's the things that we are to add to our faith. That's the fruit that comes forth from our faith. Those are the things that actually validate our faith. Okay? And so we're going to be cross-referencing all of those characteristics. So I think it would serve as well to have that text of Scripture in front of us, although we're in the book of Genesis. So as a cross-reference, if you would, turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, in verses 5 through 8, and then we're going to read that text in just a moment. But there we are told by Peter that Abraham added to his faith certain virtues that validated his faith. So with that said, let's go ahead and take a look at that catalog. Let's take a look at that list. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Okay, here's where it comes in. What's the first thing that we are to add to our faith? Virtue. And then notice, to virtue, knowledge. And then in verse 6, to knowledge, self-control. We're going to break all of these different virtues down for you, the fruit of our faith in just a moment. To self-control, perseverance. And then to perseverance, godliness. And then in verse 7, to godliness, brotherly kindness. And then to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, don't suppose then Abraham's faith stood alone. On the contrary, it bore much fruit. And if we test Abraham by this catalog, here in 2 Peter, of fruit, we shall find that he manifested all of them. And as I've already mentioned, it sort of serves as a litmus test for us to be able to legitimately claim, hey, I believe in Christ, I have faith in God. Well, if that is true, if that's a legitimate claim, then the faith that you claim to have in God will bear resemblance, you see, to the very same fruits that came forth from Abraham's faith. So with that said, that sort of sets up our study. Let's take a look at that catalog. Let's take a look at that list. And notice at the top of the list, we are to add to our faith virtue. Let's go back to 2 Peter in chapter 1 in verse 5. We are to add to our faith virtue. Now that word virtue can literally be translated goodness. It carries along with it the idea of moral excellence. It means and is revealed through following God and thus becoming like him in our moral character. Now, you know, we've talked about this many times before. There's a progression to all of this. It doesn't happen overnight. You don't give your life to Christ, go through your conversion experience or born again, and then you become the super saint. It's a part of a process. In fact, it continues right up until the very time when Christ takes us home. Because the Bible tells us that when we see him, we shall be as he is. So it's a progressive work. It's a progressive thing that God is doing within our lives, conforming us into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, as this relates to Abraham, how is this revealed in his life? That is this moral excellence. Well, we've got to go back to when we were first introduced to Abraham 
in Genesis chapter 12. And there in chapter 12 in the book of Genesis, God called Abraham and commissioned Abraham. And he called him out from his father's house. And the reason why he had to do that was because his father and the other members of his household were idol worshipers. And so before God placed him on the road which led to the land of Canaan, God called him, commissioned him, and then he went out from his father's home there in the city of or the land of the Chaldeans. Now, think about this in the way of a progression. And as soon as God called him and commissioned him, you go to the very next chapter in the book of Genesis in chapter 13, and there is the record of this quarrel that had began among Abraham's and Lot's servants because God had blessed them in many different ways. And he multiplied their cattle and their sheep and all that they had. In fact, it became so great in number that the land that they dwelt in couldn't support all of what God had given them. And so there became this quarrel among the servants of Abraham and Lot. Do you remember that Bible study? But remember, back in that study, I drew your attention to the way that Abraham responded to that quarrel, demonstrating unselfishness in allowing his nephew Lot to choose all of the plain of Jordan, which was the choicest. It was the most well-warded of all of the parcels of land. Fertile pastures were offered. And remember, it was Abraham's right. He was the elder statesman, if you will. He didn't have to do that, but he took the lower seat. So demonstrating unselfishness in allowing Lot to choose all of the plain of Jordan. You see, this is the way that his moral excellence in Abraham's life was revealed. But then in the sequel to Lot's choice, chapter 14, we have the eastern kings. We have the record of the eastern kings attack on the city of Sodom. Remember, Lot took up residency there in the city of Sodom. And thus, Lot is taken captive. And Abraham showing extraordinary courage to rescue Lot and his family. With only 318 armed, trained servants, he went out against this vast number, this confederation of kings and their soldiers. They were outnumbered, that is Abraham. They were outmanned, and they were outgunned. But again, it speaks volumes to us about Abraham's moral excellence. And then upon returning successfully from that battle, he's met by Melchizedek, remember the king of Salem, who is also recommended to us as the priest of the Most High God, which in that previous Bible study I had suggested that it was a theophany. It was actually only the appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So upon returning successfully from that battle, He's met by Melchizedek, king of Salem, and then also Bera, king of Sodom, after the battle. And if Abraham was a worldly man, he might have boasted, reveled in his victory, 
or use the opportunity for gain. But there's an absence of all of that. Instead, he gives tithes to God's priest, Melchizedek, acknowledging the source of his victory. Then when Berah acknowledged the right to keep all of the spoils that had been recovered by Abraham, Abraham replied, just quickly go back to Genesis chapter 14. Notice what he said in verse 23, Genesis 14 and verse 23. I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. So what was that all about? Abraham wanted the glory to be God's only for his accomplishments. You see, Abraham realized that it was God who went before him to defeat this confederation of kings. They were outnumbered, they were outmanned, they were outgunned. There was no way that you can explain his victory in this battle with the exception of placing God behind it. And so he wanted to give God all of the glory. Folks, there was this demonstration of goodness and moral excellence. That's what true faith looks like. But that's just simply one fruit of faith that validates our faith. Secondly, and we're going back now to Abraham because he revealed all of these different characteristics. We are then encouraged to add to our faith knowledge. That is a knowledge of God and his ways. You see, Abraham, for all of the while that he lived, beginning with his calling and commission there in Genesis chapter 12, he became a student in God's college, if you will, for all of his years going forward, right up until the very day that he passes, that is recorded for us here in this text. But isn't this the same experience for all of us? I want you to think about it. And I can only speak for myself, but I've been walking with the Lord now, I guess for a relatively long period of time. I guess it's been some 40-something years now, and it's been a blessing. But let me tell you something. I don't know everything there is to know about God or my relationship with God. And I look forward to receiving new revelations of who he is, what he wants to do in my life and the lives of my family members, as well as the lives of my members of this church and this congregation. And I look forward to that instruction. I understand that I continue to be a student in the college of God. And that's why we're even here to be instructed in the word of God. Isn't that true? It's a lifelong experience that never ends until Christ, again, as I mentioned before, in that other illustration, until Christ calls us home. But think about this. We're going to be spending all of eternity receiving revelation on top of revelation, even throughout eternity. We've talked about this before. I always use this as an example because some people are under the impression that when we cross over into eternity, we're going to be hanging out in the clouds and strumming harps and those sorts of things. No, you know what we're going to be doing? We're going to be experiencing God in greater ways. God is so great, the depth of who he is. It's going to take an entire eternity to discover exactly how great God is. And it's going to be revelation on top of revelation. God's going to reveal a certain side of himself to us in eternity. And at that moment, we're going to say, oh, now I understand. So you've heard me use this illustration before, example. And in that moment, when God reveals a certain side of himself as it relates to his love for us, we're going to respond by saying, oh, now I understand 
what it is that is the love of God. And even before we can get that sentence out, he's going to reveal another side of his love to us. And then we're going to say, oh, now I And before we can utter that sentence, he's going to reveal another. We're going to spend an entire eternity understanding and receiving revelation of who God is, his wisdom, his power, his love, his, his forgiveness. It's going to take an entire eternity. And so it began here while we we're upon the earth. Every one of us are students, if you will, in God's college. So year by year, receiving fresh revelations of the character and the attributes of God, which molded Abraham's soul, his character. It shaped his life, even as it shapes our life. As we come together and we study the word and God speaks to us in a very matter-of-fact kind of a way. Listen, we should all possess the same kind of knowledge. But if we do not, it's only because we're not seeking after it. Don't blame anyone else. Everything that was available to Abraham is certainly available to you and to me. Think about it. We have resources available to us that wasn't even available to Abraham. We're privileged characters. Every revelation of God needed for our day-to-day kind of a experience is recorded in the Bible. The knowledge of God is inexhaustible, but it's all been preserved and recorded for us in the Word. So that's where God can be known. Gang, listen, if you want to add knowledge to faith and goodness, what do we need to do? Simply study our Bibles. You know, man, I'm always harping on this. I can't overemphasize the importance of being a student of God's Word. Eating it. Don't depend upon me to spoon-feed you the Word of God. You'll stay a babe in Christ. You'll never go on to maturity. You'll never experience the glories of God, the revelations of God, the things that God wants to reveal of Himself to you. It's such a blessing. Dig in, folks. Rejoin. Put in your applications, once again, to the College of Jesus, if you will. But then that brings us to the third fruit that was revealed through Abraham's life. We are also encouraged to add to our faith temperance or self-control. Now, what does this look like? What does that refer to? Well, this has to do with victory over self, which probably is our greatest foe, if you think about it. Because our stinking flesh is always with us. Don't blame it on the devil. The devil made me do it. The devil can't be everywhere at every time. He's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't possess some of the qualities that God possesses. Yes, he has demons available to do his dirty work, and they do do that dirty work. But most of our problems is self. In my Father's house there's a place for me in my father's house where I long to be when something gets close to an ending we naturally turn our attention to the beginning when a child is about to graduate we look at baby pictures when a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death we go over the story of how we met When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, 
we remember the first times we walked in the door. And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcasts. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house.